What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys. And they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well, as well as the, the real deal cocktails, mimosa flights and all the goods. So come on out for brunch or come out in the evening for the new warm weather cocktail menu featuring lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, tons of outdoor patio space, and good eats. Big thanks to Produce Row Cafe for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's do it. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program. Once again, if this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so. And that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast and a great way to contribute to the sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do that. And 
appreciate you just for tuning in. If you're listening elsewhere from Apple Podcasts, you can just click follow and like wherever you're listening. Subscribe there. You can find the podcast on Spotify now, as well as some monthly playlists that I've been dropping every first of the month. And I also just created a bunch of genre-specific playlists as well for you uh, folks that just want to keep it in one lane sometimes. Now we'll put the links in the episode notes for those things, along with the links for the Dan Cable Presents t-shirts and coffee mugs. Those things are all available. Stoked to get into episode 263, Portland-based musician and songwriter Hannah Glaver is on the podcast this week. Had a really fun chat with Hannah out on the east side of the waterfront last week. We hung out there on an overcast afternoon and chatted it up about her tunes and her amazing most recent record, which is So Far So Long. It came out last year. Incredible album. I've been listening to this record so much. Definitely one of those those records where if I put it on, I'm usually going to listen to the whole thing because it's just so goddamn good. Anyway, my chat with Hannah is coming up shortly. It was really great to have the opportunity to really sit down and chat with her. Most of our interactions have just been at shows that she is playing, so uh, that doesn't always allow for uh, a good amount of time to just get to hang out and get to know someone a little bit. So that's coming at you momentarily. Do want to let you know about a series that Hannah is throwing that we mentioned at the end of the episode. It's called Songs by the River. It's at this amazing venue on the Columbia Gorge, right on the water. And they already had one of them on June 25th, which uh, featured past guest of the podcast, Haley Johnson. And there's a July one coming up with a couple other past guests of the podcast. July 31st, this is an amazing lineup. Jacob Miller, Isabeau, Wayu Walker, and Emily Oderson. Otterson? I'm sorry, Emily, if I'm if I'm ruining the enunciation on your last name. She's the only one that I am, I am not familiar with. But this is a great lineup, and this... From what I have seen, the photos and videos from these performances, this property looks really amazing. So if you want to see some killer musicians, just uh, check out Hannah's Instagram handle, which I will put in the episode notes as well. And she's got all the links there for the Songs by the River series. July 31st coming up, and then one last one in August, August 29th. So a couple of these are uh, are coming up in the near future and it just seems like kind of a, a special opportunity to see some amazing musicians in this non-traditional music setting. Speaking of other live music, every Wednesday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Produce Row and every Sunday from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. there's live music going on at Produce Row in Southeast Portland. Shows are free and uh it's pretty mixed up genre wise coming up this sunday july 18th got a couple djs producers solomon and gaspar will be there doing d 
DJ sets from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. And then July 21st is the debut of the new folk Americana duo, the LKs, which features Tom Lyons, who played at Produce Row a couple months ago. Great set. So that's coming up on July 21st. And then July 25th kicks off the residency for my cousin Bobby, who I do the I Dig Records series with. He will be down here Sunday, July 25th from 1 to 3, doing an all-vinyl set. And then July 28th is my Dan Cable Presents birthday party, and he will be doing a set that night. I will also be doing a set. And Quasimir, DJ Sunday Blue, will also be doing a set that night. And that's going to be from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Going to be a party, so come down, dance, drink, eat, all the things at Produce Row, free music every Wednesday and Sunday going on over there. And if you're new to the programming here, aside from the weekly Friday episodes that come out, usually a conversation with myself and an artist from uh, all different music genres, Every other Wednesday, I put up volumes of I Dig Records, which is a series I do with my cousin. We select a record, and we do the deep dive on it, and it's been super fun. There's 21 of them available now. We'll have volume 22 coming at you very soon, this coming Wednesday, and I'll have some special guest hosts coming up as well as uh, my cousin makes his move to Los Angeles from Seattle to Los Angeles. So all of that is available. All everything, all the links will be in the episode notes so you can keep up with Distro Kid and Produce Row, Hannah Glaver, the playlist, all the things will be there. Pumped I finally got to hang out with Hannah and have her on the podcast feel like this is one that I've been wanting to do for a while ever since I saw Hannah play music the first time and our chat did not disappoint and she uh everything I thought I learned about her through the music seemed to be true about who she is as a person as well as exceeded my uh previous thoughts about who Hannah Glaber was. So we're going to get into this thing. Hope everybody is doing well out there, finding ways to keep your head above the water, finding some joy in your day and some, uh, some folks to be around. We're going to kick this episode off with the first track off of Hannah's So Far So Long record. This song is called Get It, Let It Go. Let's do the damn thing. Once we're seated, 
Waterfront setting here. Mm-hmm. Describe what you see for the viewer. Uh, it's very, <laughs> it's very quiet on the water today mm-hmm. on this yeah. this gray early afternoon here mm-hmm. in Portland, Oregon. Uh, just on the east side of the waterfront yeah. here, uh, and enjoying some Water Avenue beverages, Water Avenue coffee. Yeah, water on the water. Water on the water. Um, that's a free plug for them. They're not it a sponsor, is. but I, we, I we enjoy their the products. Sponsorship. <laughs> we'll take all the sponsorships we can get for that. these things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, stoked to chat with you about your, your tunes, though. I've been yeah. uh, listening to your record so much the, the last week since kind of setting up this chat mm-hmm. and uh, diving, diving deep into the tunes and uh, cannot get enough of listening to it it's kind of one of those things that i will just let uh repeat when it's when it's through at the end so thank you (laughs) i've been enjoying it quite a bit and i think the first time i saw you play music or was aware of uh you putting music out was the library show that you played maybe like a year and a half ago yeah yeah with isabel yeah and my friend holly and holly Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely so that was the first time i got to see you play some tunes and yeah enjoyed it very much well, i know you. that was a stressful day for you it, w- it was a <laughs> stressful day i just failed a, a a kickstarter fundraiser to make the album that now is out but that day was the day that it failed <laughs> so it was just like kind of like going into the show like walking into my own funeral i was like well everyone here <laughs> I'm sorry. We didn't make it. <laughs> we didn't make it. <laughs> and Kickstarter is like the one where... It's all or nothing. Yeah. So if you don't get it all... <laughs> if you don't get it, you Everybody get just not gets, their, gets their money back and mm-hmm. got to start it all over. Yeah. Within a week, I, I ended up doing a follow-up Kickstarter 
and just cut the cost in half and it only covered the cost of production and recording and so we did it it was just the rest of the cost that it's like i had to pay for the rest piece by piece out of pocket which was wild <laughs> but and i did it we did do it <laughs> did you go out to new york to i did go out to new york that? Mm-hmm. i worked with a team of awesome artists with a company called mason jar music based out of brooklyn um they are amazing great great people they've worked with like many of my heroes over the years um i I found out like kind of after i did some recording uh like bgv recording with some friends um for some of the work on there for a guy named josh garrels um that they had done one of my favorite feist albums they like they had worked with her on metals um they've done stuff with like chris teeley they'll do their their whole thing is um they're analog experts and they work with people in live settings and so what was crazy is like finding out all of these artists that have like worked with them over the years that i have shaped a lot of my sound with like even like fleet foxes um that i was inspired by these very people that i was then going to be honored to work with later and to kind of like add this my own sound into the mix of i don't know maybe inspiration i don't know (laughs) i was just honored to to work with the people that inspired me yeah Did you feel like there was a an energy that was captured in those those particular records that were recorded there that that drew you into wanting to kind of have that analog experience and I think it was the it was the honesty like I that that's something that matters a lot to me with with my own music is I I want to be sincere um and I I believed all of the musicians that I like listened to from like it's crazy like lining them all up and going like this album and this album and this album that i saw came out of this this um this company um what was consistent was the honesty and that's what drew me to that music and so there was a a trust um that was kind of developed and an energy a creative energy obviously but like i it that's what makes me want to do the music is like the believability it's the relatability for sure i think that listening to the the record one of my one of the things that that keeps drawing me back to it is is the the energy and the vocal takes that you got on the record are just uh feel like there's so much honesty i guess in them and there feels like there's so much conviction and i think that's not always easy to do in the in the studio yeah is that something you find challenging when you're recording vocals for a record or is is that something that comes pretty easy for you to be able to slip into a space that that feels alive i guess um i i think in my former recordings and even like in former singing i i'd want to sing with honesty um but i don't know that i gave myself permission to let my voice be really heard. And so there was something that was unique in this experience to work with people that were trusted, also kind of coming out of a, a season of um, of like recovery after some like life harrowing circumstances. There was a like a ferocity in like wanting to like, if this is my last chance, if this is my last voice, um, I, I need I need to I need to say this. It was it was almost like a compulsion. It's like I can't I have to say it this way. I have to say it. It wasn't just timidly sing something. It wasn't just say these words. It needs to like from a guttural sense like get out of me in this one particular way. So it was it was like I couldn't control it. It was like inside of me needed to come out. 
and I don't know how well it translated, but it was just like a very honest experience yeah. with that I couldn't stop. Just a sense of urgency that was not yeah. there prior to making previous records or yeah. previous recordings. <laughs> yeah. Well, take me back to, to how this kind of gets going for you. When did you get hooked into music and start writing tunes of your own? Yeah. I grew up in a musical family. Um, I grew up with my dad like in a, like a touring surf rock band (laughs) in Bayeria, California. And I grew up um, in the church. And so there was my dad like led music every single Sunday. And so I grew up with musicians all around me all the time. And I never identified with any of it. (laughs) It was like, that was their thing. That was his songs. That was like his band. He was the musician. I could play instruments, but it was never my thing. But what coincidentally started happening is because I was proficient at instruments and I could naturally hear it and I was so immersed in it, um, I would be tagged on to everybody else's projects and things. Um, I don't think I started taking ownership. I, I kept like it was almost like the thing that I wanted but couldn't quite claim um, or even articulate that it was something that I wanted. I, I kept finding myself inserted into those positions. So I would I would sing with my other my friends who wanted to pursue it more than I did. Um, but it, it kept happening. So it wasn't just like the one friend. It was like all of the friends. And I'm going to... I started as a bass player. That's my first instrument. Um, and then I taught myself guitar after that. And I've always been able to sing, but I never considered myself a singer. So once I kind of got into like... I, I started like writing when I was in high school, but it was never for me once I got into college that's when I started um like doing little coffee shop shows and things like that but I never I didn't take it seriously the entire time (laughs) yeah was there any sort of like acknowledgement that you had to be decent at it to for people to keep asking you to participate in their projects in some way I I don't think I internalized that there was any level of that I was good at it (laughs) I was just like oh you if this this is good for you good I don't think I can do this but you seem to think that I can do this so I kept saying yes um and it wasn't until I want to say like it's been a while at this point uh 2010 2011 I had been doing this like this this game of like I'm not good at this for long enough where it's like you know what I I have these like handful of songs and I think I'd, I think they're worth pursuing and so it was like the first time that I actually kind of took ownership over it and I pro- approached a producer in Portland and began to kind of flesh out these songs and it was the that was my first EP um, and I recorded it with my brother a guy named Andrew Stone Street and a guy named Daniel Dixon here in Portland is produced by a guy named or mixed by a guy named Sebastian Rogers and it was like the first iteration of kind of exploration of sound um, that started with just my brother and I, me on acoustic and singing and him on banjo. <laughs> and he played drums on the track on the tracks. And it kind of just grew from there. Like the two of us would get asked to play out places. And then we just started having to build a band because people connected with it which was very unexpected um and then it turned into an indie folk like four piece um and then it turned into an indie folk six piece and since there weren't a lot of female fronted bands kind of in that like lumineers era um of music i just kept getting booked for stuff which was crazy so i found myself in the portland music scene i i think because there weren't a lot of people 
within that genre that were female fronted that had a, a band and I formed the band by accident. <laughs> so it kind of just grew from there. And then we made more records. We started touring. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of stumbled into the music industry and then discovered that I liked it and that I was good <laughs> at it. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. Prior to like making that first EP, did you have much experience playing music in front of people? Like when you were playing into other people's projects or helping out, were you, were you doing a lot of live stuff? The closest would be like at church on a Sunday. Okay. And it, I was very comfortable in the background. I did not, I still don't like being the center of attention. Really? Yeah. That's, I mean, bass player, man. Like that was like, <laughs> you got to hold it down. Like make sure that you are supporting the lead person. Yeah. Like you, it's not about you. And so I, I, my, I'm more of like a band manager, um, versus, uh, I, I'm obviously a leader as well, but like, I, I feel very comfortable making sure that we as a team are on the same page versus me in the spotlight. Yeah. So I had been in front of people, but like, I was very uncomfortable with it. Yeah. What was that that like for you? Was that quite the adjustment period to, to be front and center and being is. the one that's, you know, <laughs> guiding the show with your, with your voice? The whole time, I mean, I have major imposter sy in syndrome um, where I, I still don't feel quite like I have it all together. And, I, and I'm like looking around going like, are you sure you guys still like this? Yeah. Are you, like, this is good. This is good for you. All right. Like, I'm just constantly <laughs> checking in. I was like, I, at least I at this point in my journey, I, I believe my proficiency and I can hear the good and the bad. It's just, it was so outside of what I thought I could do that it's just taken a lot of time to, for me to like get used to being in the captain's chair yeah. and, and any level. It, I think it also makes it, I really do believe in like the community aspect of making music. And so like, I don't know if I'll ever be comfortable with being the center of attention. I think it's just not my personality, but I love the, the wonder and mystery and surprise of collaboration that that I can't bring in of myself. I bring a lot to the table yeah. creatively, but I can't make up what two people make up together. Like that's, that's a new like pathway or like three people. It's like, I, I want to leave room for opportunity to be surprised by what sounds could be created versus assume that I have all the pieces yeah. and what it takes. I would imagine that's the fun part for you to, to make a, a fully fleshed out record then too, is just yeah. like, not only getting to you know put your songs out there but mm -hmm. hear them fully realized and have this whole process that has to unfold to get those sounds yeah and i'd say that's what we did on this this last then this record that came out this past fall um is i went in with some songs like fully arranged i i knew the direction i wanted to go i just didn't have my my bass and drums tracked because there was only so much i could do in demos um but for the most part, I showed up kind of cold turkey with musicians that I trusted going like, I have the structure, the framework is in place, go to town. I trust you. Um, and in an ideal situation, you're working with trusted musicians that are not going to go like off the wall and just like ruin the thing or make it about them. And I was very fortunate in working with people that all wanted to play together. We wanted to listen to each other and like we're committed to the sound and to the record and to the heart that was behind it. Um, and so what we made for this record, I couldn't have made up. Like, obviously I'm clearly immersed in it and it's clearly my stuff, but I couldn't have imagined that some of the directions that it went because of the ways that I partnered with people consistently and was allowed for surprise in the creation process. 
Yeah, you feel like working with different artists kind of opens up your creative process too for your your future of writing. Absolutely, I I, I get over myself. I get super tired of myself. <laughs> I need other people in my life to to like kind of rub up against and like we launch off of each other. I think that I think we're made for it. I think that's what's made this last year really hard and not being able to play shows or play with other musicians in close quarters in a safe way um, is that there's not, a, I've found that there's not a lot of creating for me that I love that's just by myself. I think there's times for it that's important that you just kind of take some time and get out of you what you need to get out. Um, but the, the loss for me this last year has been the lack of community um, music making and I just get a lot of life out of it I think it's really important yeah I was at the uh, the producer of show yep. that was like your first time that you you'd <laughs> played much music in front of people and I think even that night you talked about one of the other difficulties is not having an audience to have the feedback for for new tunes yeah that make it pretty difficult to to write while, while you were kind of locked indoors and yeah it's it's a funny like balance because it's like i i don't need attention so it's like it's like the idea of like what does it look like to have listeners um participating i think it's the participatory thing where i'm like going it's as if you lived in a vacuum and i was like in an alternate reality separate from (laughs) what what used to be and so I was like going, did I? I was just questioning everything. You just get existential. It's like, did I ever play music? Did people actually like this? Was Have I been lying to myself this entire time? Was was this good? I don't, I don't know because no one's there. I don't see people's faces. I don't hear the room. I don't hear anything other than my own voice. And I don't, I don't know if my voice is quite enough. Um, and or if all of this work that went into this record which i believe in if it resonates with anybody i have i have no idea it's like we need each other to kind of reflect back the good and the bad and the ugly not for that being our truest sense of worth or it's like it doesn't matter until someone's heard it it matters intrinsically um but i i i don't know i just really feel like we need each other it's like in the same way that like it doesn't even need to be music it could be just someone reflecting back to you your own experience some of it was just just very emotive based off of just just this past year like being isolated someone looking you in the eye going like it is hard actually you're not crazy i know you're feeling like it's hard and you don't have permission to say that it's hard because some people have it far worse but look in my eyes you're not crazy it is hard this is a difficult year so someone looking back in my eyes going like this isn't bad. You're not bad at this. There's just no one else talking to you right now. <laughs> I was just two in my head. And yeah. some of it's just my, my mushy creative heart. <laughs> no, there's, uh, it's been very special to see the music now, you mm-hmm. know, and see the, the smiles on not only the audience's face, but on the musician's face as they're performing. It's like, Oh, this is, the thing that everybody has yeah. been missing for the last year and now there's some a much different perspective behind it because it's been lost for a year yeah and i think there's a lot of a lot of people who are making music for industry's sake and they're making a good good career out of it <laughs> and that, that's good that it's working out for them there's i do it because i love it and i want to connect with people in real time and so like the whole business side of things gets a little bit lost on me um, because I want to connect with people and 
when the platforms exist in such a way that it's it's just easy consumption, oversaturated easy consumption um, with music, where it's like once the music is in your ear, it's you're moved on with your day. Like you, you're, you're not like you, no one's immersing in music quite in the same way that we used to in the past, just because everything's so fast paced. And then when you're stuck at home, it's like what else do you have to do? So it's like you just inhale an entire album and move on. <laughs> so it's and I as an artist, hopefully I. Don't really want that. I, I, I like. I'm such a squishy person with like way too much intention in those stuff that I'm doing. It's like I want to like. I'm like I want to point out all the details. I'm like going. I meant this for this because you matter, and this means this because <laughs> this matters, which is probably too much. But you, you missed all of that. And I know a lot of creatives that like want. That's just outside of the pandemic. That's just in the industry in general. It's like what do we do as mushy hearted people trying to connect with other people in an industry that is just like they want Cheetos. They just want to eat really fast air. And we're trying to like hand over a hearty meal that has like been prepared and and with loving hands over a long period of time. And it's just like, gone. (laughs) Yeah. Right. For a post that maybe no one is going to (laughs) see Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) spent 30 minutes crafting yeah. this stupid post <laughs> <laughs> and the algorithm is not going to let it be no, seen. No, and it's like no one cares how much heart you have in it. I was like, I can't not feel things. <laughs> <laughs> but no one reads it like that. I need to not overthink it. <laughs> so when you're playing a show, is it, uh, you know, being someone that has a lot of intention behind what you're doing with the music and your art, is it important for you to have those moments on the mic where you're talking to the audience or letting them know where you were at when you were writing a song yeah i have to be careful because i will i'll get a little (laughs) long-winded so i have to be like because i have i get so like heart swelly about like oh i'm just so glad you're here and this means a lot and this and this and i'll just i'll just run my mouth and i'll just keep (laughs) talk for too long um because everything means so much to me um so I do love poignant moments kind of throughout the night to be able to share a bit um, to my my band, which my old indie folk band, which it used to be sort of the greatest dismay where it's like, all right, Hannah's going to tell the story again. <laughs> and she does this every single time. And it's always the same songs. And she always needs to make sure that people know they matter. And I'm like, they do, you guys. <laughs> But yeah, I, I do think it's important to kind of create those moments. It kind of takes you out of the consumption, the consumer role. Like it, it, it kind of like it's eyes on eyes and it takes yeah. me out of the performer role where I'm not just getting through a song. I'm actually like trying to like have a moment where right. I, I take it out of like your emotional ride and I cut you out of the flow of it. I want you to like participate within the flow of music. And I think that emotional arc is really important, but to kind of like get on a relatable level. I was like, going, I get that I'm on a stage, but like, I'm a hot mess most of the time. We all are. <laughs> Nobody's better than anything else. What if we all just claim that and just like point at each other saying that you matter? Like, I don't know, like stuff like that. Yeah. So that matters to me to be able to kind of create those moments of just waking up almost. Yeah. Rather than just kind of floating by, just kind of shaking a person in the moment. I think I always, uh, I think I always appreciate those those moments within a set mm-hmm. you know and uh when someone takes the time to talk about a tune or you know maybe not necessarily revealing 
the entire song but you know just giving it some uh some context yeah maybe even you know not what the song is about but what you were going through when you were writing that song or something like that yeah. can have such an impact on folks and i know that there can be the flip side of that is revealing too much about the song to where <laughs> someone's like oh i thought that song was about this and now it's it's ruined for me or, so, or so, something like that but <laughs> i think that's also you know the opportunity to connect with the artist hopefully on some sort of human level and, absolutely and maybe maybe if, even if someone in that room doesn't absolutely love your music mm -hmm. maybe you say something that helps them connect to it in a way that helps them come around on the music where they're yeah. like i didn't even know if i liked this at first but now i i love it and i like where it's coming from yeah no, that's really good. I, I, I appreciate what you said about like not kind of over defining those moments for people. There's a movie, a documentary. It was like it was, it was about George Lucas and how when he did his remakes of Star Wars, how upset people were <laughs> when it was like first it was episodes one through three. No, no, no. Four through six. Four through six. He went back in the 90s and he's like going, I'm going to do better cuts of this. I'm going to add some CGI because this is the technology that didn't exist in the 70s. So I'm going to do it now. And then it goes back to like episodes one through three, which are some of society's most hated films. Like that is they They had a hard time with that Jar Jar. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, like absolutely. it was a rough, rough time. And it the conversation in the documentary was like, how much freedom does the artist themselves like who who does this content belong to because everybody connected with episodes four through six going like this is the emotional response that i had to this content and george lucas is going i didn't mean that i didn't mean for you to feel that this is what i meant let me remake it in the 90s and tell you what i actually meant and people hated it <laughs> like who owns the content at the end of the day and that was kind of like the premise of the entire documentary and i think like it's, it's not necessarily the person that owns the content that it, I think once it's out in the world, it's like, it kind of just gets redefined in a different way. And so there's, there's beauty in that for me. So it's like, I want to over explain myself to make sure everybody knows exactly what I meant. But I, I agree that I think there's beauty in people kind of connecting where they're at with their own interpretation and their own story for the song to become so much, so much more than I ever intended. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's how I connect to music. That's how right. we connect to most art and many relationships is we're bringing in our own context and going, this resonated with me on a heart level in a way that you could never possibly understand. Um, and now it has meaning in my life that changed me outside of you intending Jar Jar Banks to look right, a certain right, right. way. You know, it's like all of a sudden it, it becomes a community experience versus the artist's intent experience. And it both matter, both yeah. the artist's intent and also the community experience. But it just, it, it means that life is more than just our intentions, which For I sure. think matters. Yeah. I think that's, you know, the fun thing about lyrics that do maintain some sort of mystery or there's some like some abstractness to the lines and they don't necessarily all seem to belong together and maybe they're just fragmented you know <laughs> thoughts but they uh i don't know they 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 resonate with people still and yeah people are able to find connections with those things opposed to maybe things that are much more literal yeah yeah <laughs> i think i've definitely uh I used to gravitate so much towards everything that was so literal and now yeah. it's now it's kind of gone the opposite direction a bit, you know, where I don't know, I can 
more appreciate the balance of those things now. Yeah. And not just the the super dramatic straight ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm cutting my heart out for you. <laughs> so, but listening to your your tunes, I think um, I think I'm often sent like into this maybe deep level of thought or internal reflection. I think I listen to a lot of different music for different reasons. And when I'm, you know, listening to something like yours, it's for like that internal reflection and like what it evokes mm-hmm. out of me thinking about, uh, back to the way. Oh yeah. <laughs> I feel like that is a song that is a great example of, of that where it makes me think about a lot when yeah. I'm listening to it. I feel like it's a poignant song even. I didn't write it with any intent for this past year, but I I feel it, it in a way became this redefined anthem of like wishing things could go back, but it can never go back, but still kind of yeah. mourning the loss. Can I be honest? I hate changing. I keep on asking couldn't it stay the same I didn't notice things kept breaking I just didn't know I wish I could go back to the way things were back to the way things were too like everything seems to have like a very a very cool groove to it are you always writing things on guitar or do things start off on different instruments for you ever um for the most part it's on guitar um like the the first i think it's the first song on the album i should know this the first song on the album the first single how about that get a let it go i wrote that on bass so that that one started out as a bass line that I built from there. Um, I still have like voice memos of it on my phone <laughs> of me just like plunking it out. Um, but for the most part, it's that there's um, brother was written with 
my brother. Um, he kind of came up with the guitar lick, and then I built a song around it. Um, it used to be in a completely different time signature, so in terms of like rhythms and beat and syncopation, um, sometimes I'll come in with a concept of how I want the, the drive to go, um, but I won't have the instrumentation skills, so I'll like beatbox into my phone. <laughs> but it's like, it, it gets the idea across in terms of like the the baseline, like imaginative direction that I want to go. Um, but my, my instrumentation skills are pretty limited. So it's like some of it's just like building it out. I'll build it out vocally before I, I build it out the rest of the way. But I sometimes will hear that rhythm where I'll be like, I need this drums drum sound from this this one inspiration source or yeah. this I want it to sound like this bass line but I need it to sound this way or I need keys like this but I don't have a piano lick yet um, yeah. so it's a little bit of everything you think that's maybe the bass player in you and maybe you starting on bass and that maybe attributes to oh, there yeah. being so much rhythm to the I, tunes I really do think so I like I'm a, a I would I can't self-deprecate that much. I was going to say I'm a lousy guitar player, but I can't say that about myself anymore. I don't think that's I, true. I've seen you play music. I'm a, a lazy guitar player. How about that? Like, <laughs> I I won't learn the theory and play the theory the way that I should. I will start as a bass player, and I'll start with the root of everything. And I'll start with the rhythm and the low end in mind um, and how the the band can kind of come around and support what I do. And so I'll write, within, I'll write frameworks often. Um, that have a lot of freedom for the drummer and the bass player to kind of wiggle around within because I, I do consider them first <laughs> in a lot of different ways. <laughs> Typically, it's like an afterthought, and I was like, no, I start there. <laughs> that's like my comfort zone. Storm on the Rise mm-hmm. is one of those jams that I feel like has this very groovy, haunting yeah. elements to it. There's this singer-songwriter, Beth Orton, that I like mm-hmm. a lot, and that song gives me like similar vibes to her. up different ways of writing songs when you're approaching things like that i do and on, on that song in particular um i will i will not claim the the, the skill set of playing that lead electric that's chris parker out of uh new york he was our our amazing studio guitarist on all of the tracks that were on there um that and my brother played on some lead electric stuff but as i am now having to learn those parts <laughs> <laughs> I wrote them a certain way. I wrote them on acoustic or electric, and I would write them a certain way. And then when we tracked them, it was just faster for Chris to track them in studio and then do the lead lines as well. Um, 
So I've had to grow as a musician um, and hopefully I'm rising to the occasion because um, my, my whole thing is that I don't, I don't want to be a band supported musician. I want to be a proficient musician as well. I want the band to support me, but at the same time, like I want to be able to play these songs, which means I have to grow into my proficiencies. Um, and so I've had to up my electric playing skills um, because I'm used to acoustic Um, I've had to get more precise with my finger picking styles I've just had to like up my game because I want to rise to that occasion so like it I would say that it it's both I I both both the strumming patterns and the finger picking I've, I've had to be able to knock both of those out of the park I don't know if I can yet but I try (laughs) oh what's that is that the Portland spirit oh poot poot here it is (laughs) hope they're having a good time waterfront cruise I know that's some good (laughs) nat sound right there so are you riding more on electric now because of that yeah I totally am it kind of just naturally happens when I'm like practicing for something else. I'll just keep holding the instrument and just keep going and then an idea will come. Um, as I'm getting better with understanding tones, cause it was such a, it felt like an overwhelming instrument because it's not just the electric that you're getting used to and like how exposed of a sound it is versus an acoustic, which is very forgiving. Um, you're then having to deal with good amps, good pickups, a bunch of pedals. Like it becomes like this, blank canvas for you to just really do a ton with and that felt very overwhelming it wasn't just an instrument that you could just approach there was so much you could do with it um so some of it was kind of getting my bearings in terms of what tones i could work with getting the right pedals getting the right gear um but now i am writing i'd say majority on electric as i can sometimes it's easier to just pick up an acoustic and not have to like spend an hour getting your tones figured out um but i'm Electric is what I wanted to play, like the entire time. I felt like such a fraud being uh, an indie folk musician and being like in a folk band with a banjo because I grew up listening to rock. I didn't listen to like Simon and Garfunkel. I listened to like rock music, a lot of oldies, but like classic rock. I, I just, the tones were completely off. So every time I'm like playing these instruments, I was like this. I understand that some people like what I'm making in terms of sounds, but this is, it's not what's inspiring me. And I know it's inspiring other people. So it's really exciting to now be making sounds that are inspiring to me that I'm connecting with on a different level. And I'm, I'm hoping that my, my newest songs that like I've been working on since the album. And then obviously what I've been doing on this album, I'm hoping it actually reflects me in a more present way. Um, I, I, I'm not having to play catch up. Like I'm yeah. actually able to make music in real time that represents me right now. Um, which means when I'm performing it, it's, it's more true, which I've, I've said matters. To yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah. So, so far, so long is, is mm-hmm. m- kind of more of that, that fully realized what you maybe envisioned yeah. from the beginning of having this big full sound yeah. and this kick ass musicians mm-hmm. and, yeah, it's just it's everything on the record just sounds so good, so fun to listen to. Whether it's in headphones or it's in the car, you know. Yeah. You mean throw it on your shitty little iPhone speaker, <laughs> and it sounds it still sounds fine. I credit the engineers. I credit the guys that mixed it and mastered it, and the musicians that played it. I, 
I tried to pick people I trusted that could make killer sounds, and I really feel like they did. And obviously, like songwriting and my singing, but like I wanted it to be a complete package. I didn't, I didn't want it to just be me. I wanted it to be like excellent to the next level if I could, if I could muster it. Yeah, and I think like the instrumental breaks are mm-hmm. just as enjoyable to listen to as you know when there's a vocal present, which mm-hmm. is great. There's a lot of like anticipation listening to the tunes and. Yeah some of the the killer buildups in the in the jams thinking about after all yeah just the patience of of building that one up just to just to bring it back down like very quickly yeah those little vocal climbs that like ensue after yeah that one i would say that's probably the most involved of the songs that are on the album that i'm like i had a complete vision from beginning to end of how i wanted it to go and so that was the one that I like was super nitpicky about. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it turned out really good. I, I love where it lands rhythm-wise at the end. That's all Anthony LaMarca. He's a freaking killer, killer drummer. Um, I just love the groove that it went to at the end. Um, but it was a slow burn, which I was afraid was going to be too sleepy. And <laughs> I feel like it went uh, somewhere. I think the record has like such great balance in that way, you know. Mm-hmm. There's the big up tempo mm-hmm. stuff and but the more low key stuff just has so much groove and character to yeah. it that is also way enjoyable to listen. Yeah, you know, there's not there's not any time I'm listening to this record thinking to myself that I wish we were in a more up tempo song again. So that's good. <laughs> Success. Great success. far as after all mm-hmm. you know and you kind of having this full vision for the song and mm-hmm. being maybe a little more stubborn in that one as far yeah. as like where things <laughs> land do you feel like you're at a next level of confidence to like 
believe in your visions in those those times of like oh if i feel this strongly about it then this is probably the right thing and i i it's okay to be grounded in this yeah i feel like that i mean that song in particular i i I was surprised with how strong of an opinion i had about like certain mixing elements in that song and i feel so so bad for for jeremy (laughs) who was who was mixing it um who had to essentially act in large part like in just he he's bringing like his massive production skills and like all of his skill set but like in that song he was just almost he he had to play such a large engineer role because i was so nitpicky about it and i think it it allows me to see that i i do have a bigger vision that i'm allowed to assert up front versus in hindsight with a lot of back and forth it means like i i just didn't know that I, I had such strong vision for stuff until I was like in the position of like, no, I really want to fight for this, these sounds. And I, the, we tracked the last part of the entire album, the day it was like all due, <laughs> like in, I really wanted this piano part right at that last little build. I really needed like offset, like piano hits. And I really insisted upon it. We on the, like hours before it was all due, I insisted upon like adding them myself and so it was just like, it was like even like down to minutes before it was all done. I was like, no, I need this. I didn't know that I had it in me to fight for something that I had such a strong enough vision and a voice that was worth pursuing. Um, so I have a deep emotional connection to it. I don't know if it's the strongest song on the album, but it honestly, it taught me a lot about that. I, I am a, I do have a producer's mind and I do have a band leader mentality and that I do have vision that's worth chasing. And I, I hope it paid off. I think it paid off. I spoke into so much of the direction like the the massive emotional direction of these songs from like even the the ordering of the songs and the yeah. emotional arc that it takes you on um it really mattered to me to kind of be so inserted in it and i didn't know how much it mattered until i was like fighting for it down to the wire well the sequencing is definitely killer on it yeah <laughs> you spent a lot of time yeah deciding. too much time <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> i subjected all of my friends to like in the middle of the night like listen well, i wouldn't say all my friends but there was like a, gr- a crew of people that would like subject them to like a a, a barrage of like text that, that were like okay these are like a thousand song title options how does this make you feel <laughs> what does this sound like to you does this sound too pretentious and i had like a crew <laughs> which which i love that's the way i like doing things so yeah. it really worked out but like, it mattered to me to like get the feel right and I was like I know how this makes me feel but what how does it make you feel because I want it to be like a shared experience am I overthinking this because clearly I overthink it (laughs) that's already Uh, a thing I think it's nice to have that that committee of folks that you Mm -hmm. trust with uh, the music or the art before it's released to the people you know you get some sort of feedback on it and you know have the opportunity to get some different ears on it to Mm -hmm. shift your perspective a little bit on it as well yeah were there were there songs when you were putting together the record that you just knew oh these these two songs have to be together oh like in the ordering of yeah. it yeah um or did that kind of show itself later after they were all done some of it like i understood the flow of it um i'd say um you know if you look at it like a like a like a vinyl you got a side a side b mm. the side b i felt the most confident about the flow so that's gonna be um i think it's does it start with dark the sparrow or is it That'd it's be gonna six, be like six through ten six through ten yeah. i think that flow of six through ten i knew i wanted to end on afterglow i knew i wanted to like 
we thought about making that the single. We were going to call the whole album Afterglow. And I say we as a team of one, but I made, I insisted upon a team. <laughs> so I, I say we because I made my friends my team. I was like, no, now we are a we. I'm You're used to a part band. of this whether you like it or not. <laughs> a little bit. I was like, no, I say we. Also, if I fail, it's not my fault. No, it is. It still is. It's my responsibility. Um, I knew that I wanted af- Afterglow at the end because um, that's how I wanted to like leave it. Kind of like as this like, you start off with get it, let it go. I knew I wanted that at the beginning. Um, and that to kind of be like the invitation into like this, like I'm saying something kind of saucy and it's like, I'm like going, I'm going to get it. I'm going to let it go. It's going to be this thing leading into like, I think 10, oh no, a little child is next. I was like going, we got to throw that guy in there oh, <laughs> somewhere because it's positive. The treasures behind your eyes. Yeah. I think about that, that part mm-hmm. a lot. That's such a great line. It's, I can't claim, I can't claim the whole thing. That was based off of, it's the sweetest thing. My friend I used to live with a, a couple and their daughter was like a toddler and she would say it to her every single she she read the same like poem of empowerment to her daughter every single night before bed and so I would and I would hear it from the living room and the lyrics of that song are based off of what I would hear from the living room being spoken over this child it's like going I told you once you're more than words you're more you're only worth like what treasures hide behind your eyes it was the sweetest thing so it's just like this empowerment like prayer almost over like this kid every night before she went to bed as she drifted into sleep that often happen for you where you'll just hear someone say something and you'll bring it into your writing somehow not always some like that one for sure uh, the other one would be distant shores that's another piece that was based off of of, of written word um, that i was so moved by that i like i wrote it on the spot um kind of in response to a written piece um also by my friend karen love that, love that. it was like the, in that same season love the the sentiment behind the we're all going deeper, but we're not going under. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very powerful. It, it like it wrecked me then, and it's like I can't shake it. I think that that whole communal aspect. It, it's what's been driving me, but she kind of put to words, um, in like such a succinct way, like the commitment to one another, and that's that's what I want. I want that in my music experience. I want that in my life. I want that relationally, like. The commitment to see one another for sure and yeah just that whole idea of like there's a there's there's something in the deeper waters if you're like willing to swim yeah yeah and so much of our life is like we we numb out the hard stuff and i mean this year it's like there was so many hard moments in this past year and like our first response as a society especially western society is to numb out that pain whether it's to dive into netflix to dive into music to dive into food to dive into alcohol and it's like what does it look like to step into those hard spaces and survive them as best you can but not look at them in such a way that like they have to be avoided Mm. um and I think that can only be done with other people. 
Um, I think if we are facing those things alone, um, then we, we are going to drown. We are going to yeah. go under. So what does it look like? For I think of the seasons of my life where it's, it's only been me. Um, what does it look like to build up a community of people around me or to, to look for other people who don't have a community? Um, I mean, we, on our way here in the waterfront, like we've walked by all these like homeless camps and it's like, what does it look like for them during the pandemic? They are absolutely yeah. going under and they're not being supported by the city in so many different ways. And even if they are provided tents and a parking lot to put their tent on for some of them, like, what are the ways that they're going under? Like, are we going deep in, into their understanding their experience? Are we letting them go under? It's it's a collective responsibility of one another. Um, whether it be something extreme like homelessness or like uh, in the case of like maybe the loss of a loved one or someone's being harmed in some way or it being someone who's just going, who is depressed. Like, are we willing to like see outside of our experience to like reach, reach into the lives of other people around us and refuse to let them go under. I think in the case of like George Floyd and the big BLM movement that's happening across the world, um, among other people, I just used the one name. Um, what does it look like to refuse to let that be okay? Yeah. What does, what does it look like to be like, my experience is so limited by my blinders because I can only see so much. What does it look like to expand my vision and believe someone else's experience next to me and but I, but I can't until that other person is next to me. I, I only can see so much. What does it look like to partner with someone else who can see a little bit more than me? Because they can't see what I can see and I can't see what they can see. Um, how do we share a life experience that is multifaceted and diverse and full um, and whole? Like, I, I think it needs to be a wholeness. It can't just be my, yeah, my experience. For sure. I mean, that's the, the important thing of seeing things through other people's eyes because mm-hmm. you can't you can't see everything for yourself and you yeah. can't experience, you know, every, everything. And, uh, yeah. Just also from like a mental health aspect, I think the whole idea of, uh, that you can definitely <clears throat> drown in your own internalization of like everything that you're going through and, absolutely and stepping outside of yourself to be like what would it be like if i actually did ask for help or tell someone that mm-hmm. i'm struggling in this and i have no idea how to escape it you know yeah you, it's like you get weird confirmation bias if you're the only voice in your head or only people who look like you are the only voices in your life or like have the same experience or the same socioeconomic socioeconomic status or the same gender. We need that diversity. Otherwise it it becomes delusion. You're delusional. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I definitely uh I think that's the also the great thing about being part of a music community in a city or or just any community, but I feel like the music community specifically you're exposed to yeah. such a diverse mm-hmm. group of folks and you're usually encountering a bunch of folks that that want to you know they're they're looking for support or they're putting yeah. their emotions out there in some way and being being vulnerable with people mm-hmm. is definitely often my attraction to that yeah. that scene you know mm-hmm. it becomes like a, a place where you have permission and I don't, I don't know why it's, it's so limited to a lot of spots in the arts, why, why the, the arts have a little bit more freedom and permission. But I feel like the arts are almost like the, the tip of the spear and are kind of 
leading the permission for the culture. It's like we say what most of society can't say in a lot of different ways. And I, I don't know why it's just more acceptable. Yeah. But it is. I also think there's almost like a, you bear a responsibility. Are you going to say something that's true? Mm. Can you? Will you? So I, I feel like convicted by that. It's like if I see truth and I can express truth, what am I going to say? Yeah. Can we say something important? What am I going to use with that platform of knowing that I can wield attention and I'm going to make a beautiful sound? What, what am I going to say? Is it going to be something that matters, something that empowers and lifts up other people? I don't know. There's, it's a very powerful tool. And as you, I think as you dig deeper into that, it becomes harder and harder to, to bullshit yourself or mm-hmm. like say, or, you know, put out things that don't have a lot of true meaning for yeah, them. And I don't want to say that stuff anymore. Banger, yeah. you know? like, <laughs> it does make you good money, but like, I don't like, maybe you like write it on the side, but like, I, I really want to say things that are true. I really want to say things that matter and it might not make as much money, but I kind of don't care. Yeah. I also <laughs> I, don't think that there's anything wrong with, you know, writing music for that. Again, that like it's, it's both ends. I think that is just, yeah. you know, if you are doing it from such a pure place to to be spouting off lyrics that mean nothing to you yeah. can become maybe more challenging. I mean, it's fun to be in a cover band. Like, yeah. you know, like that's there's a, this that's a different thing. <laughs> it's a different thing. Or it's like, or saying things that are just like fun fluff. Cause that's just a really fun means of expression. Like right. you just say it or you just say things that are just like empowering in the moment. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, I know for me, especially in light of my life experience. And then this past year, especially I was like, time is short like what if we never see people again like what what's the last thing that I want them to hear so for me in my journey I know a lot of what I want to say I could say a lot of fun stuff and I have a great time with that but I do want to say things that are like if I have one moment with you like what am I gonna, what am I gonna say what are you gonna hear what yeah. do I want you to hear what's the last thing that you want I want you to hear from me um, and hopefully it's that that you matter and <laughs> that you're not alone um, yeah, it's th- it's things like that. Like that's that's a personal conviction that's driving a lot of my creation, and I think it can be pa- paired with much more more levity. But yeah. I think I'm just a very responsible person. <laughs> it's oh. like I, I take on. I was like going, I have to. We have to hold each other. <laughs> and I think the great thing is that you don't you don't even have to say that directly. I think that's communicated through the music. Yeah. That, you know, you matter and you're not alone, and mm-hmm. you know that that is definitely expressed through the tunes at least that's the the experience i have as a listener when i'm listening to your music whether it's you playing tunes by yourself solo or if it's on the record you know it's it's uh the message is is delivered either way i feel like oh good (laughs) i hope it is true is it harder for you now that you know you you continue to tap into this this next level of honesty and and Mm -hmm. lean in that direction does it become harder for yourself to reveal yourself in that way in in front of people (laughs) immediately yes yeah i mean it's especially as i'm like more honest about like my experience or my grieving or like depression and anxiety like it's it's vulnerable it's very exposing i I don't want to see i want people to see the ugly parts of me like i don't want that i'd rather it be shiny and perfect um so it's it is it's hard honestly i get so much anxiety um before i perform because if i dig down deep and i like see the root of it it's because i'm afraid of how much people are going to see of me Mm -hmm. Like it's, 
I, I don't want them to see all of me or that they're going to see part of it and misinterpret it or uh, define it for themselves. So it's, it's, it's a work of weird bravery. I'm no hero <laughs> by any means, but it's, it takes so much of me to show up and to act, actually present my heart in that way. It's what I want and it's what I believe in, but it, it, it takes an emotional toll. Um, it gives me simultaneous life though like so it's it's a mm. both and it's like it's what i believe in it's what i want to do it's what i'm good at i love it but at the same time it's like i don't know if you're gonna like what you see <laughs> and i believe that it doesn't matter but it does to me still. i'm gonna need that validation during the show <laughs> <laughs> i know i said it doesn't matter but it matters and i want to die oh my God. <laughs> even more difficult when you're playing solo for yourself yeah yeah you yeah. don't like, have any other distractions oh, it's on like stage? a thousand times worse i sing completely different with a band than i do solo i sing very comfortably in a band because i can hide <laughs> but it's doing solo stuff like at the that i think the last two shows that you've seen me at um it's only me it's only sounds that i'm producing and right. it's not that i can't produce them it's just like i i have nothing reflected back at me to communicate that it's like it's it's okay. That's like what's crazy about music is it's it's not like a piece of art that you're looking at and you can continue to look at it. Once it's out of my mouth, it, there's no taking it back. <laughs> it's like it's out into the air. Like it's in your ears and it's nowhere. Like it's no, it's not captured. You, It's just like it was out there. It came out of you and it's gone. <laughs> and it like lands in people's ears and hearts. But like you can't look at it and go like, was that good? You can't. It's just out of you. So it's like a very exposing unique experience and I think that's what's that's what I love about music when I go to shows especially live performances um, is like the miracle of sound of how things land on top of each other like yeah. that beat hits and the bass player plays and that that guitarist like nails that lead line and it happens in a moment and they can't take that moment back and it's it's like a miracle of sound that just like happens to you that you get to be in the presence of um, and there's no fixing it. That's why I love analog stuff and being able to capture like live versus just immaculately. It's, it's fun to do it immaculately too, but like, I, I love the miracle of sound that you just can't recreate. Right. That's what I love. Those moments. Those moments. <laughs> you feel like when you're playing solo, there's a little more room to explore maybe. And you, I think maybe, vocally, yeah. I think I, I just, um, I'm a timid guitarist and I, I don't, I also like, my brother's a really good guitarist, like a really, really good guitarist. And I played with a lot of good musicians. And so it's like, I hear in my mind, my comparison to them. And I was like, I can't do that. So like, obviously I'm bad. So like me leaning on my brother's proficiency for so long, me playing the way that I play, which is equally valuable, but is different. Um, feeling confident and like that's enough is like a whole whole other ball game it is very vulnerable i don't feel the most comfortable but i am able to explore a lot more sound what i am able to do in a way that i didn't know was as valuable as to I, I sing completely different because i have to fill up more space before it was just like i sing on top of a band versus my voice is 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 the thing driving it and i didn't value it before because i could hide in yeah. it and so i sing completely differently when i'm singing solo and i didn't know it was all right <laughs> 
You don't have to sing over all this other instrumentation yeah. either. And consider, I'm a very responsible musician. Like, I'm like going, okay, well, I don't want to step on your toes and your toes. So, like, I'm going to sing this way so you have room. I'm a bad band leader in that way because I'm like going, well, it's not about me. And I'm like, no, 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 it's literally my name. This is actually my band. It, it does matter that I sing big. Like, it, <laughs> that's the, that's that's the what sound. we came to see, Hannah. People came to see me, and I forget that it's not about, like, making sure that my my background vocalist is comfortable and my bassist feels happy and valued like it's <laughs> it i don't think it's like it's mutually exclusive it doesn't mean like i can't value those people in their space but it just means it does matter what i sound like and hopefully partnering with people that believe in that too <laughs> yeah and i think i i think i did a good job i think i partnered with people that really captured that well um and i want to keep partnering with people that believe in that because that's what I want for other people so hopefully I believe in myself enough to also do the same <laughs> yeah you obviously dig the collaborate like the mm -hmm. collaborations and you know making music with people do you feel like there's a there's a next level of things when you get to play music with your brother having that that family kind of mentality behind things yeah oh man I I love playing with my brother. It's like, I mean, we, we are siblings as a start. And so like, there's always going to be like moments of like butting heads as is going to always happen within sibling stuff. But like, we have been at this point playing together for so long that like we're, we're able to push past the like initial tension of it. And we trust each other musically more now than we did before. Um, and what I love about it is that we, we, no, we we because we grew up with the same music but in different eras i'm a bit older um i don't even need to communicate some stuff and we know what's going to resonate and where the other person is going just intuitively um and i i love that it's hard to find you can find it in other musicians that people that like like are maybe of similar musical upbringing or just like generous musicians who want to hear what you have to say first and know how to play into that but there's something unique about playing with family that you just kind of can't make up or playing with musicians that you grew up with um yeah it's a very unique experience and i love it yeah i'd imagine you're also more willing to be completely honest with each other about oh, yeah. ideas <laughs> just because you you brutal. are okay with like getting into honest. it with one another you know yeah <laughs> you've already broken that boundary down you don't oh yeah you know feel bad about that part it's it's rugged <laughs> we really go there <laughs> we're we're like more behaved like on stage but like the, we still have banter like well like and it's always like really dry sarcastic like cutthroat banter <laughs> but it's like it's at this point it's like we're not like wildly immature about it like so it's like we're fine <laughs> but yeah it is brutally on practices are where it's hard <laughs> Because it's like, that's where it's like, it's not performance day. This is when you get to speak your piece and you're just yeah. going to like rip this idea apart. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about 10 Feet Tall. Okay. There's uh, early on in that song, there's the I found God somewhere in the middle line. Mm -hmm. I was just... Uh, kind of curious about the the sentiment maybe be behind that tune and i know you said you you grew up in the church like where spirituality kind of plays into your life now and how you feel like it kind of flows into your tunes 
Yeah. Um, I mean, that song is like twofold. Um, at the time, I was working at a church as the, the worship and arts director. Uh, this is like 20, 2017-ish when I wrote that song. And it's, it's crazy. It's like I was in a prominent position of like leading a spiritual community um, and working really, really hard. And I was very burnt out and I was very depressed. Um, and I was leading a bunch of people in a way that was like supposed to be filling and full of God. And it was, it was very sincere. I can't like take my sincerity out of what I do and I meant everything. Um, but there was a huge miss <laughs> in terms of like me not participating <laughs> in what I was doing. And it's not that I was very physical. I was physically present. I was doing it. I was singing the words that I meant. Um, but there's a gigantic miss if I was doing so poorly. And that song was written right after I had, I had just had brain surgery. They found a, a tumor in 2017, very unexpectedly. And right after they found it, they took it out. It was like discovery, removal. I should have died. Like I say it very fast just to get us through this, but like it, it was awful. Um, it was a miracle that they found it. Um, and it was in the healing process. I was laid out. I couldn't do anything for six weeks. And it was right in like the busyness of like the Easter season, which is a big church season. Um, cause you have like Easter, you have good Friday. It's right, like the right, Lenten right. season. Yeah. So there's a ton of stuff that goes into the prep for it. And that was my wheelhouse. So I was doing all of the songs and the arrangements and I was managing all the bands and I was doing the decorations and we had big services planned and I was, I was managing all of it. And on, in the midst of all the busyness, I'm just laid out weeks before the big, the big event. Um, and I couldn't do it. I could not do it. And it was this discovery of like, I was finding worth and meaning rather than, um, in the, the heart and purpose of the, of the, who it was for and the why. Um, but so much of my identity was really clearly found in, in the ruining of myself <laughs> and in the burnout. And it was about the work and it was very shame driven for me and it was, it, it was not intended as it was intended. And having almost just lost my life in these six weeks where I couldn't move, I couldn't get out of bed. Um, as my body had to recover, like, thank God that I'm here. Um, and that I, I can move. I have all my limbs. I have my personality. Um, there's other things that are affected, but it's like, I am here for the most part, but for those, it was like the worst, um, concussion humanly possible, but rather than your head being like shaken, it was like tissue damage. Um, and so like your body just couldn't do anything. Like I could, I could stand up, take myself to the bathroom, lay back down and I couldn't watch TV. So I had a lot of time to think. Yeah. So like this, this song was written in that season, um, of rather than like finding God in all these cool things that I was doing that like celebrated who God was, I, I found God in this moment of almost dying, like in the middle of dying in death. And the line after that, it, it, it's like, I found God somewhere in the middle of dying in death. Turns out I was the problem. <laughs> yeah. It was me. <laughs> I was the, the thing holding myself back from like going, I missed it. <laughs> um, and the, the chorus of it's talking about like, it's like, it's thinking that you thinking that you're bigger than you are or like projecting that you're bigger than you are. Let's, let's pretend that we're 10 feet tall. Mm. Um, if you want to, I don't even know the lyrics of my own song, but yeah. 
let's pretend that we're 10 feet tall. Um, and then like this idea of like being much smaller in reality, but having to communicate that you're much bigger. Um, a lot of it was just my experience. Um, but yeah, like it just, it, it was my personal experience of, of missing the mark of, of, of thinking that I was doing something good and noble, but I was not participating in it. And honestly, like a lot of that, that experience has shifted my trajectory into like, recognizing how wrong I got it in the industry of like in, in damage that is done in the industry of how a lot of church structures work when it's turned into productivity and production and performance. Um, and I, I, I don't want people to get harmed in that way again. I don't want people to be missed as individuals. Um, and I think in the excitement and then the ambition of doing something cool and sparkly and shiny and and good quality, I, I, I think a lot of people get mowed over and we, and we miss the big picture. And I think it's, 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 it's a big bummer that that happens. I don't, I don't think people have to get harmed in the process and it's not across the board. It just, it it showed me that the thing that I thought I was pursuing, I, it just missed the mark because I took a toll. Other people took a toll and I was projecting that I I was doing a big noble thing and that in that you, you miss God entirely. That's the song. (laughs) Absolutely. I found God somewhere in the middle, dying and dead. Turns out I was a problem. If you want to hear alone, you stole. shift your your lens on you know yeah. what that god experience is and yes. you know as you continue to reveal that self like to yourself over time and yeah what makes you feel god and, and mm-hmm. things of that nature yeah is it very much like an energy to you opposed to this like person in the sky that you're like when you when you speak about god like what that is to you yeah i mean I, I mean, I grew up in, in a church, in, in the church, my dad would like lead worship on Sundays and I grew up immersed in it. And I think it's, I mean, it's, it's more than energy. I'm trying to think of a way to like succinctly describe it. It's, it's, it's being, it's, it's, a, it's, but I think not in the way that we understand being, I, I think I just see there's so much order and intention with how people are are made and the world orders itself and in nature it's like you can't look at a sunset and go like ah that's just a bunch of gas yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like a bunch of leaves on a tree and going like that's a, the happiest accident I've ever seen and I I mean I I put myself through like two different types of bible school to like 
wrap my mind around like this thing that I grew up knowing and wanting to understand more. And I don't understand it all, but I kind of can't deny like the intention and the beauty that I see in it. And also just in my, in my experience and like the way that I, I don't know, it's, there's, there's faith in it for me. So it's, it's more than just an energy. I think it's, I, I have even a hard time saying personhood because it's, I think it's, it's not quite what we understand it to be. Yeah. I think it's limited by our understanding of like human personhood. And I think it's more than that. I believe it's more than that. Yeah. It's the mystery of it all too. Yeah. And I'm, I, I like mystery. It, it spurs me as a creative to discover more. Um, I don't need to have it all lined up and I think we're not supposed to have it all lined up. Oh. Um, but I, I do believe it's real and I do believe it's there be too easy if you knew exactly how the rest of the day was going to play out yeah yeah <laughs> Man. well um i appreciate the tunes very much oh, and you. the honesty and the vulnerability <laughs> behind it all it definitely definitely resonates heavy and um yeah just been i watched all those live sessions that you put up that earlier yeah. today those are very cool so Thank people should you. definitely check those out i'll put the the links to your your youtube channel in the episode notes so people can mm-hmm. uh keep up with those and they're real they're single takes they're real very cool big we did not mess big <laughs> ensemble for those mm-hmm. which is great is that that was here in portland yeah yeah both uh, i did a couple of them they did the the one at uh union yale union that's just down Morrison-ish, um, right by Holocene. There's okay. a there's a, a really cool building that's used for a lot of different stuff, but I was able to get into that space. That was, <laughs> it was the first week of June, right in the middle of marches. Um, and so there was like all these um, Black Lives Matter posters, no justice, no peace, surrounding all of the windows. And it was the first week that they allowed people to get back together. So I booked uh. this thing after no one had been allowed to see each other and we were hosting secret practices and we wouldn't let more than six of us be in a room together. And it was like, we wore masks during the band practice and I didn't know if I could have a crew in there. And that week they're like, going, you can have up to 20 people. And so like we made it happen. It was pulled together. (laughs) Those sessions came out rad though. They look great. They sound great. Yeah. The other one was done at a red rocket square. Um, with Raymond oh Raymond I'm sorry I don't remember your last name you're amazing he's sorry in, Raymond sorry Raymond he's <laughs> in Parson Redheads he's incredible um, but yeah it's at his studio and those were done for South By which were great also with a live band multi-tracking just phenomenal people I was able to keep the same bass and drummer Brett Way from Parson Redheads yeah. and um, Mirabai Trube from Tango Alpha Tango yeah absolutely yeah very cool all that stuff is available to check out from Hannah and her incredible record is on all the streaming services. So all those links will be in the episode notes so people can keep up with you and uh, hopefully see a live show of yours since those are those seem to be happening again. Uh, what's up with this Songs by the River that oh, you're, yeah. you're curating? Um, I was asked to do a concert on this amazing property and 
it felt selfish to just have me play. So I asked the property owners if I could maybe do a full concert with like three bands. And then we had the idea of like, what if we turned it into a summer series? <laughs> so <laughs> then that's what it, it is now. We just did, we had our first one last month and it featured um, Samsel and Haley Johnson and Anna Gilbert. And this month is going to be Jacob Miller and Isabeau. And we're still waiting on the third. There's going to be one in August. Yeah, the next one is going to be on July 31st. So okay. um, tickets are available. I can post it on my Instagram. I'll put those but, links in the episode notes as well. Yeah. That sounds killer. Yeah, live, multi-track, safe, beautiful property, riverfront property on the gorge. It's unbelievable. It's affordable. Get tickets soon, though, because there's limited parking. Super rad. Yeah. So at this point, putting out a lot of music of your own, do you still enjoy playing, in, like being the role player in someone else's band at times or, you know, just singing backup vocals for a show or something along those I, lines? I love it all. I really do. I, I love doing my own stuff, but I also love being a part of collaborating with other people's stuff. And that's... That's one of the things that I was very blessed with this in the, in the city was being able to, in the early days, partner with like people like Catherine Feeney and Luz Elena from Ila Bamba, um, my friend Joe from Novosti, my friend Charlie Shaw. Like I, I love being able to kind of shift my sound to kind of create something new in these spaces. Um, it's my favorite thing. Like that's one of the things I wanted to do with this summer series was to kind of do an in the round style session that like everybody's kind of forced to collaborate and create a new sound together that will never happen again. Um, so I'm, I'm taking my dreams and making other people <laughs> participate <laughs> in those dreams. <laughs> I was like, you're going to love this too. I promise you don't know that you will, but you will. You're doing it. <laughs> you're going to like it. You're going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Well, Hannah, thank you for taking the time to chat it up with me here on the on the waterfront. Yeah, thanks for having me. Underneath this uh, this overpass, I don't know which one it is. I think it's the five. It's the five. That's part of the five. There's the like five an on going into the eighty four. Yeah, beautiful. The four oh five. It's it's one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is "It's a program." Pro, what I say like program or program 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 yeah it's just how my grandfather says the like the news program okay it means absolutely nothing you can say it however you want it's a it's just a it's a program and uh we can properly sail it out after that <laughs> what do i just say it yep okay you just do it however you like to <laughs> it's just a very goofy way to to end the show <laughs> i wasn't prepared I was like a gear up all right <laughs> It's a program. She nailed it, everybody. That's Hannah Claver. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. All those links will be in the episode notes. And I thought it would be fitting if we played it out with the, the last song off of your, your wonderful record, So Far, So Long. Mm-hmm. And it's called Afterglow. Yeah. And that's the Jelly Jams. And we will catch you on the flip side, Portland, or wherever you are listening to this from.
Big shout out to Distro Kit for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Can't say thank you enough to Distro Kit for their support of this thing. And make sure you go into the episode notes and find that Distro Kit link to receive 30% off your first year of membership with Distro Kit, making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. And the link is also in uh, the link in my Instagram bio on the link tree. So you can find it there as well. 
Big thanks to DistroKid. Stay up, stay tuned.